It's finally here, the special needs bonanza extravaganza episode in which Master Impressive and Director Awesome spend most of the time patting themselves on the back. Hit it! Hit it! Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Jerky. I'm your host, Master Impressive. And I'm Director Awesome. Today, you will find out what Pod Jerky means. And now, the term Pod Jerky means professional, professional, offensive, offensive, dedicated, dedicated, jerk, jerk. Yes. So. Here we go. We're going to start off. And Director Awesome is going to do a quick rundown of who we are. So take it away, Director Awesome. All right. Who are we? We are all-star educators working with special needs students. The oh no, it's those two. The go-to guys that you just can't stand but can't do without. If there's anyone you want to have on your team when the shit hits the fan, it's us. When you have a special needs problem that you just can't fix... And if you can find them when they're not hiding, and if they're not conducting a social experiment, then maybe you can call in the Pod Jerky team. So here's what we do. We implement structured and non-structured curricula for developmentally and physically challenged students of varying degree. Our roles as educators is focused on classroom management and directing students to follow a desired work plan that contributes to their learning and social well-being as individuals and as part of a group. In street speak, we get it done like the OG special needs jerks we are, boss level 30, all day, every day. Go big or go home. Smoke them if you got them. We don't do bullshit. Don't call us because we won't call you thug life special needs senseis. Now, here we're going to go through some of the skills that you need to work with us. Now, remember, this is just the list that you need to work with us. This doesn't mean there's a list to work with everybody. This is just our list. This is the preferred employee. Never mind. Whatever. Let's go. (laughs) Avoid driftwood at all costs. Here's the pod jerky definition of driftwood. Loudmouthed, incompetent, ignorant, and arrogant idiots. Less than useless, hack workers who know everything, skirt their responsibilities and in turn add to everyone else's workload and think everyone else is stupid and will be the first to get eaten alive by zombies when the shit hits the fan during the Raccoon City apocalypse. You know who I'm talking about. The same ones who have the ability to find a corner and stay there just like Driftwood finds a back eddy. You'll usually notice this at the local marina. In a corner where the cement walls meet the water, you'll see where the water swirls around and gathers all the debris. Cigarette butts, seagull droppings, dead fish, empty beer bottles, and debris. The driftwood. It collects and sits there, floating, swirling, swirling, swirling. Useless. Taking up space. Stay away from the driftwood. We are making t-shirts that say, you are driftwood, own it. While out on community walks, be prepared to divert the gaze of your innocent special needs youngsters away from the thong-wearing crack whore who is stumbling down the street during school hours in front of schools. Yep, this happened, but it is mandatory. 
a paw jerky bylaw, in fact, that you make sure to immediately call your coworkers' attention to the spectacle. <laughs> Next. Very important. Don't piss off Master Impressive and Director Awesome. They will immediately put your ass on the blacklist, and once you're on it, you don't come off. Next. Know how to tell time and count your money so you don't get hosed by your employer. That's very important. Check mark that one. Next. You better have your OG rap game on point. No mumble rap gibberish allowed in our house. Quality over quantity. We only play the highest quality product for our students. The clean YouTube versions, of course. Next. Know how to fish for floating running shoes, fight off seagull gangs, crazies, and dumbasses. Next. Be prepared to deal with police because you will be stopped. Hey, are those kids with you? No, officer. I just abducted a bunch of special needs students from the local high school to treat them for a community walk and a possible ice cream at McRonald's. And that actually happened to Master Impressive. I actually got stopped by the cops walking with the special needs students. The police officer turned around and was going against oncoming traffic and was giving me the third degree by the sidewalk. And to us, that's just a regular, normal, everyday occurrence. The next point. Be prepared when out in public to be ignored, reviled, and feared by females, <laughs> especially the good-looking ones. This will happen regularly. But I can't say that I'm fighting off any females. I'm married, so I have to not be fighting any females <laughs> off. That one's for you, Mrs. Awesome. Yes, you know nothing. Yeah. You know nothing. So we're just like the uh, Wonder Twins here, but we use our pod jerky powers. Pod jerky powers activate shape of invisible male support staff workers, form of deflector shield. And that ties into one of our social experiment episodes coming up, but we won't tell you about that until you tune in again. And like I said, we got some good stuff coming, so please subscribe. I have some good social experiments that I'm going to run on Mrs. Awesome right now. Nice. Um, that I, I can't actually do to anybody else, seeing that we're not allowed out of the house, really. So I'm going to try them on Mrs. Awesome, see how they go. Um, the next one is that you're going to have to be able to fight off tinfoil hat wearing crazies and homeless drunks who are eyeing your special needs students fake leather jacket to sell at the local pawn shop for a crack hit or a trip to the liquor store. This is and all stuff that actually happened. Yes, this is our world. And it's so crazy and so interesting. And that's why you guys have to keep listening because we're going to be having a bunch of episodes coming up that will be looking at these individual stories, their backstory, what happened that day, and just the craziness that surrounds our everyday work environment. The next one, don't baby the kids and speak to them as you would anyone else. They get it more than the regular so-called normal adults. Next. A big sense of humor. That is and a big one. The next one is no shame. You just, you can't have any shame when you're doing this job. That's all. If people are looking at you funny or you're getting some crazy ass look, who cares? No shame. That's how you have to approach this. Next. You need to have an understanding of humility. Patience level that would break other mere mortals. Next. You need thick skin. And here's a very important one. You need your self-defense and restraint training. Because if you don't have that, there's going to come a time when you need it and then it'll be too late and you're going to get injured and sometimes severely. And it happens and it's almost a daily basis. Unfortunately, yes. Be able to bring the rain when the kids go donkey time on you. Yep. Sometimes you have to get a little serious on the job and put the kids into their place. 
always with an understanding of their disabilities, their challenges, but also you have to tell them they're at school and they have to behave a certain way. And usually they get it. And if they don't get it, then you have to ramp up your response. And that could be anything from being put into a timeout room or being sent home. There's a lot of options. And, and it all gets- depends on whether or not they're endangering themselves or staff or other students, right? So. Mm-hmm. And if it gets really bad, then you have to call in the police. And sometimes we have to do that, but it's that's not a regular occurrence. Let's see. The next one is have a no bullshit attitude because we don't do bullshit and we just need everybody to be up front with us. Tell us the truth so we can assess the situation and just get shit done. We don't do bullshit. We don't have time for that and we don't like playing games. Next, you need to have boss level life or death decision making skills. I'm going to mention one occurrence that happened on one of our community walks where we were trying to get our special needs student to the other side of the road and he decided that he just wasn't going to move. So he was stuck in the middle of the road and this huge transport truck was coming around the corner and he could just barely see us and he was almost on us. And so at that point there, we just had to get this guy over to the side of the road in whatever manner that we could and just get things done. And luckily nothing happened that day, but that was pretty close. I'm sure you remember that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of sketchy. Let's yep. see. The next one is you have to treat special needs human beings as just that human beings because they get it and they know who's treating them like crap and who actually cares. You have to have the ability to not care about looks, but rather to focus on substance. Another one is you need to have a ratty ass wardrobe, and that is mandatory. You need to have the necessity to have coworkers who you can count on and back you up. Very important because if you have incompetence riding by your side, you will get injured. It's not good. Lady I, M knows all about that before we showed up. Mm-hmm. Yep, she does. We're going to try to get her on on one of the future episodes, but she's kind of shy. So I don't know if we'll be able to get her on, but she's going to tell you some of the stories that we're bringing up now. And they really make you think. She actually has some better stories. We'll try and get her on so she can explain for herself. Some pretty crazy stuff for sure. Okay, the next one is the ability to work as part of a team. Take and give direction and at times tell stupid people to shut up and take a seat. You see, we we seem to do that a lot. Yes. Okay. Uh, The next thing that you need is a cell phone, a functioning one for you and a fake ass dollar store model for your special needs homies. (laughs) Otherwise, their data bill will tsunami you. For real, though, it has happened to some parents. Some kids steal their parents' cell phones and hide them in their lockers at school, and we find out about it at the end of the school year. Shout out to Sneaky D, one of our students who was doing just that. Stole a bunch of cell phones from home and was hiding them at school. Not sure if they were throwaways, but they did work, so who knows? And we went through his bag one day just to get his lunch bag out or his agenda out or one of those things, and we found this cell phone at the bottom of his bag and told the dad, and the dad said he's been looking for that phone for a long time. (laughs) We thought, wow, like here's his phone sitting in his backpack like for how long that his dad actually had to go out and buy a new phone because this phone was missing. And these were cheap phones. We're just looking at the kid like... What the hell are you doing with all these cell phones? You're running like some sort of drug ring on the side here at the school. (laughs) Burner phones for his business. He had a whole bunch in some side hidden pocket in his uh, knapsack. And we just looked at each other like, what's going on here? Next one is make sure you have Kleenex all the time. 
Lots of it. Don't leave home without it. You need your Kleenex. You do. Yes. You do. You need to be able to wash your hands a hundred times a day. Mm-hmm. No different wanna... than the coronavirus right now. You need that's... to wash your hands a hundred times a day. That's true. You know, we, we always have to keep on guard with our um, hand cleanliness and things like that because our work environment is, how could I put this? I don't even know what word to use. Filthy. Filthy, yes. Uh, compromised. Let's put it that way, just so yeah. that we don't ruin anybody's dinner or lunch or breakfast. The next one, be fluent in political bullshit ease. So if you can't dazzle them with your dancing, baffle them with your bullshit. Be able to navigate the landscapes of dumbassery and politically correct minefields. Mm-hmm. That's very important. You need to watch your step and sometimes not care where you're stepping. Yeah. Next one, this is really important. Be able to find the best hiding spots in the school building and use them when necessary. Be able to hide in plain sight during meetings. And then when Master Impressive turns to see where I am, all he sees is an empty chair. That is pod jerky ninja shit right there. <laughs> you see, you see, I still remember there were quite a few times during staff meetings that have nothing to do with us. We could be doing other stuff in the school, yet we're sitting in staff meetings and we would look at each other. One would be gone. The other one would still be there. We'd get up, we'd leave, we'd come back. You know, the other one would be gone. And then we'd end up just leaving the building and actually taking a stroll into the neighborhood because we were like, we don't know what's going on here. And nobody could figure out where the hell we were. I remember that. That was so funny. I remember once, I, th I think it was you plus one of my coworkers. You guys were sitting right beside me. And this meeting that we were in was just dragging on and on and on. Had nothing to do with us. Zero. Negative zero. And I just, I just got up and left. And then I think you ended up texting me like, where are you? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. I was like, where are you? You just had disappeared. That's right. Yeah. So I had gone to get a drink and I was coming back. And then when I did get back to the meeting, they're like, we didn't even see you leave. Yeah. And I said, that's right. It's the Pajuki Ninja skills in action. Yeah. The next one is be tech savvy, but not too tech savvy or else people will call upon you to be tech savvy. And what I'm saying about that is there's a lot of people who might actually be able to fix things, but it's just easier to pass the work on to other people. And I've learned throughout the years that it's time to walk back some of my skills and let people take care of their own business. I can't and tell you how many smart boards I have fixed in the school board uh, in different classes because people just couldn't figure out how to get the projector to project onto the smart board. Next, you need to be music literate, especially rap and Metallica. Yep, Katie for sure. Perry, Lady Gaga, completely banned. Man, our music episodes coming up are going to be fire. The next one is be able to walk away from dangerous situations. And I'm talking work refusals here or alien takeovers. Depends what's happening on that particular day. But so many people, I guess they're afraid or they don't have the spine to stand up for themselves or for their coworkers or for the students that they're taking care of. And that just always ends up going wrong on so and, many levels. And that's so, where they turn to the pod jerky guys. I remember once I walked in, there was smoke in the room, really thick smoke. And everybody's just sitting there like, what are you all doing? Like, seriously, what are you all doing? There's smoke. It stinks. It was almost like they were frozen. It was like a time freeze situation. And I said, okay, you guys can stay here, but 
I'm going to leave and I'm going to take my student away from this situation because it's dangerous and it's not healthy. And there was pretty much no response. So that's just one instance of what I'm talking about. Well, it was the same with the sewage smell that we had in our class. Oh. That we had to actually leave the room because it was making us sick. I don't think it's fixed till this day. Yeah. Prior to that, for quite a few years, it was like Niagara Falls. There were these leaks in the room that we were in with our special needs student. And it was just a constant occurrence. So we had the leaks. We had the sewage smell like really bad all the time. It took years and years and years to get figured out. And these are some of the work conditions that we have to deal with on top of working with our special needs students. We'll move on to our next point. Be prepared for shit pay stressful and sometimes insane work conditions and the odd asbestos health and safety emergency. Yeah, everybody thinks, you know, we're sitting down, reading the paper, drinking our coffee, doing Facebook or Sudoku or whatever the hell people are doing these days. But we're pretty much working all day. We don't usually have any breaks. We work through our lunch. We eat when we can. And that's basically what we do. And usually we're dealing with our own student. And then people call upon us to help them with their students as well. And sometimes we're called into other situations and we're being pulled all over the place. And we're just looking at these people like, can't you take care of your stuff? I mean, come on. So they are stressful situations. And sometimes it gets a little too much. And those are the times where you have to walk it back a little bit and take, you know, some me time and make sure that your mental situation and your health situation are taken care of. Right. The next is boss level ability to call out gender equality bullshit, dismantle safe spaces and put idiot coworkers in their place. And I think that's pretty much self-explanatory. Oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll go on to the next one. Be able to play the game and win. And that's we're right. very good at winning. There are no second place winners. Okay. No. <laughs> if you come in second place, you lost. <laughs> that's right. You don't get any prizes where we are. Not no. from us. Next, this is really important too, and this is for all the parents out there. So the staff have to be able to talk to the parents of these students, inform them, and tell them the truth. Tell them what's really going on at school and ask them what's really going on at home. You need to have an honest two-way communication, otherwise it's fail army time, because so many times we've been lied to, we don't really know what's going on at home, and then we find out only when the student graduates, oh, Wow, so the student, in fact, had all these other issues we didn't know, and that was affecting our everyday work environment. And sometimes it's really bad. So an honest two-way communication is very important. Next, sometimes we find out from the bus driver of what's actually going on at home. That's true. They are very good spies. And that leads us right into this one. Be top level sleuthers. Mm -hmm. Investigate, report, advise, instruct, listen, don't listen, ignore blacklist, kick off the island, collaborate, and finally, you have to love to fight. If you don't fight for the kids who need your help and for yourself, who will? We're talking UFC level, rear naked chokehold aggression here. We've had to do things on our own so many times to get things addressed. And if we didn't do it, nobody else was prepared to do it or seemed completely disinterested in the fact that there were serious problems that needed to be addressed. So thankfully, we were around, we took care of business, and later on, people were saying, yeah, you were right, we should have said something, we should have done something. Well, luckily, we were there to take care of that. Next, you have to be able to rumble in parks, on the sidewalk, 
on fully packed public transit in churches, restaurants, everywhere and anywhere and not give one shit about what anyone else thinks and be prepared to be recorded. Wait, are you getting my good side? Because <laughs> if this is going to go social, I need to look my best. Now, you we don't have- want you anybody out there to think that we're getting into fights with anybody. But at the same time, you all have to understand out there that we do get attacked on a daily basis. And we're not making this sexist or anything, but usually because we are the males in all of this, we do get the stronger students. We do get the tougher students if we are at the school. I mean, not every school has a male uh, education assistant working there, but when we are working in a school, we usually do get the tougher students and they will attack us on a daily basis. So we have to be ready to protect ourselves all the time. It's happened I, on the subway. It's happened on the street. It's happened at, you know, in a crowded place. It's happened at the, the um, special needs Olympics. Some of the students that we're talking about here, some of the male students, they're like 260, 270 pounds. Their arms are as hard as a rock. These kids are so strong. Plus, you get the adrenaline going and maybe they're having a bad day. Their hormone level is out of whack. Who knows what's going on? But those days when the shit hits the fan, you better have your A game on because if you don't, you are going to be seriously injured or worse. You never know. So that's why we usually have it tougher. And there was a comment made once in passing. Oh, you guys have it so easy. Your student is so good. Look, so quiet. And we're just looking at each other like, what the hell are you talking about? This has taken four years of hard work, battles every day just to get to this point. So please, by all means, join the circus and see what you can do. Some of these comments that come from out of the blue and just show how clueless some people are about what we do. And mind you, this is in our own department. That was pretty crazy. And which actually is a good lead into our next one, which is be able to keep quiet when you don't know your shit. And likewise, be able to shut people up when they don't know their shit. The worst part of the job is to listen to some expert who doesn't know Jack telling you how to do your job. No, thank you. And this has happened as well, where we look at people come in, so-called experts, and have fantastic ideas that lead nowhere. And we tell everybody what the situation is. Remember that some of these kids we work with three to four years, we know pretty much everything there is about them, their mannerisms, their behavior, their interests, what they don't like to do, their triggers to the last minute bit. So when we have people who come in and don't know the students, have no idea what they're talking about, telling us what the best procedure is to deal with their issues, again, I just look at Director Awesome and say, yep, I don't think so. You kind of shake your head up and down. Just let them talk so that they leave faster because they have a basic (laughs) umbrella policy on how to deal with every kid the same exact way. And when we tell them, you know what, we've already done this. It's never going to work like that. It doesn't work this way. Then they'll try it once. Maybe it'll work once. And then they'll say, see, it works perfectly. See, it works. You know, and we say, no, it won't work. Trust us. We've done it a thousand times already. And they'll still say, well, this is what we want you to do. So we just agree to it. They leave. And then we go about doing our own thing, which we know is working with the student. And we know what is actually being done. The next one, this is very important. You need to have extra money in your pockets at all times especially when your kids steal food off the shelf and you're left holding the bag, which is empty, by the way, because they ate all the damn chips, 
Remember, someone always has to pay the bill, and it will be you. So, <laughs> Director That's Awesome on more than one occasion. <laughs> Director Awesome knows this very well. <laughs> I wasn't about to take money out of my pocket. I'm telling you, I wasn't. And you know that one day that I'm talking about at the local special needs community center, <laughs> yeah. where our student just walks up to the counter and I think he just like ripped open one or two bags of chips and just started going to town while he's yeah. laughing at us. And oh, and it's like, happened at the dollar store as well. And, you know, like it just, you, you have to be prepared for that. Next one. Fight off dogs, squirrels, bees, seagulls, leprechauns, and people in general. Society is totally foobarred these days. Yes, it is. Next. You need to have your doctor's degree, your psychologist degree, your bullshit degree, your life coach degree, your cooking degree. You get the point. We are so much more than our support staff title suggests, and we are constantly looked down upon because of what we do and who we help. We have no time for idiots and invite them to call our toll-free hotline, 1-800-FREE-ASS-KICKINGS, and we'll set up an appointment. Free of charge, no expiration date, and sometimes we even offer a two-for-one ass-kicking deal. Those? Those aren't popular. No, they are not. Expect to be kicked out of functions and special needs community centers. It's true. Our class got kicked out of a special needs community center. And there was one particular female lifeguard who has a very special place in her heart for all of us. What happened was our class was in the pool. So just picture this. We had our students splash in some old man who was trying to get into the pool. We had the rest of our class fighting each other in the pool, like a full-on street brawl. And just so people understand, we were in the viewing area watching all this go down. And the female lifeguard knew that we were also part of the supervisors who were looking after these kids. Whenever she would pass by us, she would just look at us, give us some like cold stare, just shake her head, and then just keep walking. <laughs> But you know what? Was what hilarious. are you, you going to do? They're special needs students. You you have to expect this behavior. It's not like we can just run and jump into the, the pool area and she can shake her head all she wants, but this is the job she chose to do and where she chose to work. So she has to expect this stuff to happen. So that's going to wrap it up for episode one. We are actually going to have episode two, which is going to give you some behavior techniques, some of our insights on diet, uh, some of the experiences that we have gone through with some of the students that we work with, we're now going to leave you with these words of wisdom from our special needs prophets. Only hundreds, not tens or twenties, only hundreds. No run in the road, a morning time, a noon, and a soon. Welcome back to part two of our autism episode. We are going to give you an in-depth look into what autism is, our experiences, insights, and what kind of strategies we employ on the front line. For those of you unfamiliar with autism, here's a brief description. Autism Spectrum Disorder, ASD, refers to a broad range of conditions characterized by challenges with social skills, repetitive behaviors, speech, and nonverbal communication. Autism is a disorder that affects a number of people, kids and adults, and there are varying degrees from mild to severe and everything in between. Some individuals can communicate effectively without any help and sometimes communication aids like an iPad are needed or if the student has been exposed to sign language, they can use rudimentary signs to tell you what they want. When coming up with a diagnosis, 
Autism is generally characterized by a lack of eye contact, repetitive movements, sensory issues, language, and social skills issues. This means that the individual has a hard time looking at people or talking to people or knowing how to act and interact in certain situations. Sometimes their brain can't process information the same way that everyone else's brain can process it, and it takes them a little longer to understand what is going on. No two people are exactly alike. We did source some of our information from the Mayo Clinic and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for anyone that's interested in checking up any uh, extra information. We're going to be putting those links on our Podbean page and on our website. And now we're going to hand it over to Director Awesome. In this episode, we will get into some different strategies for dealing with difficult behaviors and try to give you a better understanding of what being on the spectrum is like. First, let's start off with Master Impressive. He'll give you a brief overview about the differences he's noticed from when he first started working in this field up to the present day. I've been in the education business for a long time, and my number is about to be retired. It's almost time to hang up the skates and take it easy for a change. I've noticed throughout the years that things have sped up. It's always busy, 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 seminars, budget meetings, training, professional development, computer training, software training, all the things that our students don't give one damn about. When we take them out for a walk and they feel the sun on their face or sit in the park throwing sticks at squirrels, that's what it's all about. In the past, it was more Wild West. It was a little more rustic. It was unbound, basic, a freer approach to how things worked. This allowed us more room to breathe, more spontaneity, less micromanaging from the big shots. Now it's more big city, high tech, big budget. It's all about the numbers, body count, best practices, state-of-the-art theoretical techniques applied as a general formula to solve all the problems. Ultimately, though, we are still dealing with the same types of challenges and concerns that were present in the past. We've both noticed that society has sped up and moved on. We're still doing the same things today, but it's different. The heart and soul is gone. We had so much fun in the past, like a big family. Now it's a business and is being run as such. People are not numbers, and that's the big takeaway from all of this. Now I want to talk about my introduction to the front line of special needs. And I'm going to be talking about one of my first assignments that I had as a supply worker in the education field. I wonder if your first day started off like this. On to the story. I was left with a poor kid who couldn't eat properly and had a feeding tube. He was in a wheelchair and his mobility was severely restricted. He was almost immobile. I was assigned to this student who was stuck in some room all by himself. It was my first time at the school. I was shown how to feed the student. There was a problem though, an issue with his feeding tube which couldn't be used. The worker who was present and just about to go on lunch was breaking off chunks of sandwich and shoving it down the poor kid's mouth. The student was pretty much choking and coughing while trying to eat. Just try to imagine that sight. Anyway, I'm left her alone with the kid for lunch and I was analyzing this screwed up situation and I flat out told the individual, I'm sorry, bud, but I can't treat you like this. It was stupid ridiculous. I stopped and reassured him I was doing this in his best interest and that I understood that the student was hungry but that I couldn't bring myself to inflict harm on him. I asked before why wasn't there a feeding tube and was told there was an issue and that's how things were being done at that point. 
Thinking about it now, though, I would have liked to force this type of cruel treatment onto the idiots who sanctioned that type of behavior in the first place. The student should never have been allowed to go to school with such a serious health concern. That was the first and last time I ever went back to that school during my time as a supply education assistant, and it still bothers me to this day. Take it away, Director Awesome. So I've been doing this for about eight years now, obviously not as long as Master Impressive has. However, I've acquired a broad range of experience that covers many situations, and I'm constantly being called upon to help the school board fix unfixable situations. So how did I get started doing this? And what are some of my qualifications? Well, up to about 10 years ago, I owned a small business. I ended up closing and really couldn't figure out what I wanted to do after that. A friend of mine who is actually a teacher asked me, um, why don't you get into being an EA, uh, working with special needs kids? So I thought about it, was interested and ended up applying and getting the job. And I supplied at various schools over the years uh, until I was finally hired full time at one school two years ago. Over the years of supplying, I worked with multiple students and was able to get valuable experience along the way. I also went through some training courses in getting my autism certificate, my ABA certificate as well, and some other program certificates. Would you mind just refreshing my memory as to what ABA stands for? It's Applied Behavior Analysis. Okay, so now we're going to give you a brief overview of some of the students that we've worked with. We've worked with students in wheelchairs, some that are severely disabled, others that are almost completely blind, some who had diabetes, some who had severe allergic reactions to almost everything, students prone to serious seizures and who have pacemakers installed, those who are nonverbal by choice, and others who are extremely aggressive and violent those with serious underlying health concerns, those with fetal alcohol syndrome, Down syndrome, Asperger's, OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, behavioral issues, broken family issues, issues of abuse and neglect, and a variety of other syndromes and health considerations. We've seen it all, and we are usually right in the middle of it. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about one particular student that we spent about four years with. I no longer work with this student, and Director Awesome has since moved on to another school. We worked with Sneaky D, which is the student that we're going to be talking about, for about four years. The student was around 260 pounds of crafty, smart, and explosive strength. This student is an expert grappler, and you could not get a hold of this guy if your life depended on it. You had to always be on your game and paying attention. Director Awesome's shoulder injury is a testament to how fast and strong our student was. His behaviors were self-hitting, self-biting, non-compliance, spitting, kicking, pulling hair, and Lady AM knows about that very well. He was also attacking staff with physical blows or objects like pencils, scissors, anything lying around. He would break everything in the classroom, break apart headphones. He would try to eat them. You get the picture. We enacted common sense approaches to work with this individual, especially when he was spitting on staff all day, which happened every day for almost half a year. We basically talked to him and told him to stop the bullshit and that we wouldn't interact with him in any way if he tried spitting on staff. We enforced the social distancing aspect before it became a thing. We kept our distance and if the student approached, we would remove ourselves from the area entirely. 
He learned that if he wanted social contact and interaction, he would have to follow our rules. We eventually rewarded him with limited music perks and special outings, and this reinforced our routine for success. We talked to the student as we would any adult and had him communicate back to us in full sentences if he wanted us to listen to his requests. If there was even the slightest whiff of bad behavior bullshit coming our way, we would shut all activities down and just sit there and not engage him on any level. His meltdown would run its course and then we would proceed and sometimes we weren't able to proceed and that's how it went. You win some and you lose some. And that's why we stated in part one that you have to accept taking a loss because there will be plenty of those. We noticed that fatigue, sickness, and boredom would also trigger this individual, especially when he came in sick. He couldn't properly communicate how he was feeling, and more often than not, this was a precursor to an aggressive altercation with staff. We learned quickly and adapted our strategies to suit the situation. We would give him more time to relax and decompress in the quiet room adjacent to his work area. We would give him extra water, maybe a snack from his lunch, just to get him over the hump, and then he would be good for the rest of the day. We also dealt with his behavior outside of the school as well. His bus driver told us that there were serious problems when he got off the bus after school where he would engage in bizarre and unsafe routines. The bus driver gave us the whole scoop about what was going on, and we took it from there. We addressed it at school with the student, reinforcing good, safe, and proper behavior, and it immediately stopped. Communication, good relationships, and treating individuals in a compassionate and understanding manner is key to having a successful day. It doesn't always go the way we want, but we've had far more wins than losses. And here's the big part to our success. We have each other's backs, and we are on the same page at every turn. So the first student, or should I say students that I worked with were a real eye opener. Seeing I had never worked with special needs children before, I learned a ton by working with them. Uh, my second student that I ended up working with was a very high priority student that was just starting kindergarten. He was totally nonverbal. The autism team was present with me the first day, and they actually couldn't have been more fantastic to work with. The first day of school, uh, this student was on the bus in a harness and ended up scratching me straight across the face because what had happened was is that the autism team said, go on the bus, go and grab him straight off the bus, pick him up, carry him in. He is going to throw a fit. So as soon as I grabbed him, I guess I didn't have my guard up and right across the face. He just scratched me like, totally right across the face. We eventually got him into the school uh, where he continued to have a meltdown. And I can't blame him. I said, the kid, like, the kid has never been to school, diagnosed autistic, and put into a class of 30 strange kids. Sometimes you have to let them have their meltdowns as long as they are not harming themselves or anyone else. Some of you may be asking what a meltdown looks like. Well, picture a child laying on the ground, screaming, crying, kicking. That was pretty much his way of saying, this is too much for me. We ended up coming up with a solution to have an alternate setting for the student where it would be me and him one-on-one. -on -one. It seemed to have worked great, and by the end of the school year, I had the student listening to me and actually speaking in full sentences, although with some difficulties. After the year had ended, seeing I was a supply, I was not guaranteed to be working at the school anymore and received a, a call from the autism team to go to another school and work with another high-priority student, and I gladly accepted. The student was in grade six and probably weighed about 150 to 175 pounds. 
Now, this student was totally nonverbal. He would often throw himself to the ground, and you can only imagine how hard it would be to pick him back up. He was also very aggressive and would often hit, kick, rush towards you. Now, let me say that there was a lot of dodging going on, and I actually had a nickname for him, and I called him Juggernaut because once he started, he didn't stop. We ended up doing the best we could and tried everything we could to give the student a better experience in the school system. At the end of the school year, I found out that the student would be entering a specialized program, which kind of broke my heart because we couldn't do more for him. From that school, I was actually called to another school, and I was called by the department head that was given my number by the autism team again, and it was a high school, and I had yet to have worked in a high school and thought that it was a chance at a new start and fresh opportunity. The story of why I was called was because our friend Lady AM was working with this student, who I believe was 15 at the time, on her own, and God bless her because this was the most aggressive and biggest student I had ever worked with. On my first day, I basically just observed what was being done with him, and he was really working in an alternate setting with Lady AM. Everyone has their own strategies, and I wanted to see if some of mine worked with this particular student. The material for the student wasn't there, so I decided, with the help of Lady AM, to create it ourselves. We had him on track. However, the behavior started to get more and more aggressive, and this is where Master Impressive stepped in. It was the jerk squad in full effect. Master Impressive, Director Awesome, and Lady AM. We finally got our student on track, and the parents were very pleased with the progress until that got derailed, and I got a full-time position at another school. Lady AM was moved to another school as well, and Master Impressive was removed from working with the student without even informing him and without reason. Today, the student is running roughshod all over the school, and everyone is afraid to work with him. I forgot to mention that this student is about 280 pounds now, if not more. Now, we have to touch on some of the important things that you want to do when working with special needs students. The key to everything is patience and building a personal relationship with these students. Let's talk about the two things that you can do while building a bond with your child. I will explain joining and Director Awesome will explain motivation. We are all aware of what stimming is, right? It's something your child does repetitively or exclusively for their own enjoyment. For example, flapping hands, rocking front to back or side to side, repetitive speech, such as repeating song lyrics, those kind of things. The causes for stimming are varied, and some researchers suggest that stimming arouses the nervous system and provides a pleasure response from the release of certain chemicals found in the brain called beta endorphins. Some theories suggest that stimming may counteract a lack of sensitivity by stimulating the sensory system. Others suggest that stimming may have a calming effect, focusing attention away from an overwhelming experience. Stimming behaviors can provide comfort to autistic people. They can vary in intensity and type and can occur due to a variety of emotions. Autistic people of any age may stim occasionally or constantly in response to emotions such as excitement, happiness, boredom, stress, fear, and anxiety. They may also stim during times when they are feeling overwhelmed. And now we're going to be talking about joining. The basic idea here is that you join in on your child's stimming. Use it as a bonding exercise. Show your child or student that you're interested in what they are doing, that you want to connect with them. Set yourself about two feet away and do exactly what they are doing. 
keep the rhythm and pace. You also want to do it with sincerity. We do not want to stop the stimming because this becomes a momentary fix and does not help the person to become a socially engaged individual. The first reaction is to always stop it because we believe that it is not an appropriate behavior. This may be a hard thing to do in a classroom setting because you're usually assigned to more than one student and it makes it difficult to get that one-on-one -on -one time. And now Director Awesome will be talking about motivation. Motivation is much more different with neurotypical children than those that are on the spectrum. The biggest mistake that we make is trying to educate our children when they are not in a state of mind to, to take in or process new information. We're all guilty of it, us included. Your student will basically give you two signs, either a don't walk sign or a walk sign, such as no eye contact or not responding. It's at this point that your student is saying, I am not ready to take new information in yet. Wait until they are ready to process this new information. When teaching your child, it becomes very different between neurotypical and special needs students. With a neurotypical student or child, we can put a piece of paper with five black dots on it and say, count the dots and there will be no issue. What you want to do with someone on the spectrum is give them something that they are interested in, like unicorns or leprechauns. You want to keep them interested and engaged. Traditional modes of education rarely work with those on the spectrum. One of the most widely used techniques, and we see it all the time, is the reward system. There is a downfall to this, and, and let me explain. I love dessert. Offer me dessert, and I will take it. I really dislike vegetables. So if you tell me that I have to eat my vegetables and I'm going to get the dessert, sure, I will eat it. But does that mean that I like vegetables? No, absolutely not. Children on the spectrum are being offered rewards for everything they do in life. So they grow up hating the things that we want them to do because they're only interested in the reward. We want the human interaction to be the reward. If I want someone to put on a coat, offering a reward does not teach the skill. What it teaches is compliance. The person learns that they have to be told to put on the coat. What we want to teach is that they need to know to put the coat on if it's cold outside. Now let's look at some forms of communication involved with autism. Number one, we have eye contact and nonverbal communication. Two, verbal communication. Three, interactive attention span. And four, flexibility. Eye contact and nonverbal communication. Achieving eye contact is extremely important with autistic children and students because it tells you that you are engaging them at their level and that you have their attention. And this ultimately builds their communication skills. Nonverbal communication is very important as well, and this includes facial expressions, gestures, posture, and the distance between two people. You can use these cues to measure your ability in making a successful communication connection. For example, is the child completely turned away from you, disinterested, and not paying attention at all? If so, you will have to try a different approach to initiate a communication link between yourself and your child or student. Verbal communication. I have never been a big believer in PECS, which is a picture exchange communication or iPad communication, but it gets pushed at nauseum. Is it totally useless? No, but think about it this way. If someone never has to use their words or just points to things to get what they want, why would they ever want to put in the effort to use words to get what they want? We want to encourage using vocabulary and get really excited when they do. 
It may not be a full word, but as long as the effort is there, the language will eventually come. What you can do is create a room with no distractions, a room that has preferred items up high on a shelf, and the only way to get it is using your verbal communication. Now we're going to talk about interactive attention span. The difference between interactive attention span and regular attention span is someone's attention span can go on for a long period of time, just stimming, for example. However, interactive attention span involves how long they can stay engaged with another person at one time. If they stay engaged for 30 seconds, then go back to stimming, then re-engage for another 30 seconds, their interactive attention span is 30 seconds, not one minute. Flexibility. This is doing things out of order. If a puzzle is always done a certain way, change it up a bit. If the child gets upset, simply say, oops, I'm so clumsy, but wasn't that fun? Create flexibility with your child. Those are basically the four forms of communication. So let's move off of the communication part and get into electronics. Now, as I previously stated, I was never a big believer in electronics or communication. I'm not a big believer in electronics for an educational tool, period. Yes, we're aware that's a little bit controversial, but here so. We have already talked about stimming. What electronics do is actually make your child more autistic. And let me explain this too. Children may enjoy the electronics, but they are self-creating stims. There's nothing wrong with stimming as long as your child is creating them. But we don't want to provide the devices to create them. It doesn't matter how educational a video is. A video can never teach your child to be social and interactive. As long as the device is around, you are always going to play second fiddle to a machine. Machines don't teach your child to be social. The less electronics you have, the more interaction your child will have with you. The other thing we wanted to discuss was taking your special needs child to parks, amusement parks, and public places. Any place with an overload of sensory stimuli that floods their sensory processing capabilities. The stimuli could be audio, visual, environmental, food, smells, etc. We realize that parents take them to parks and amusement grounds to help make them feel normal and get exercise. However, these excursions tax their sensory processing ability and in turn this can cause a lot of challenges and they can't really have a normal experience at those places. For some, it is possible. For others, however, we've seen firsthand that it just doesn't work. We've had plenty of experience with meltdowns in public places due to a number of factors and it can get ugly real fast. Going to the park and being in those multi-sensory environments means that the nervous system becomes severely overloaded and that one of two things will happen. One, the individuals become reactive and prone to meltdowns, which could get extremely physical, violent, and aggressive. Or two, some become addicted to the rush of adrenaline. With the second one, they appear to love these environments, but their ability to learn and interact is compromised. These environments can be seen as detrimental for learning and interacting. Sometimes there are environmental factors as well that play a huge role in how the child or student reacts in these places. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Too windy? Do they fear something in the environment? Birds, dogs, loud machinery being run by the groundskeepers? Can they effectively communicate that fear or anxiety to you? There are a lot of variables to consider. 
we have to balance our approach between what is a good activity and what is ultimately best for the student or child and their particular situation at that time on that day. It's a fluid, ever-changing and dynamic work environment that keeps us on our toes and sometimes even we get it wrong. So let's move on to challenging behaviors. Whether we are parents or educators, we have all experienced a meltdown. One thing to remember is that big reactions lead to repeating behaviors. We never react big to eye contact or verbal communication, but our natural reaction is to give a big reaction to a meltdown, which in all honesty is completely normal. Basic human instinct is to try to stop that behavior, and that's okay. Instead of doing this, what you want to do is be calm as possible and try to ignore the behavior as long as they are not harming themselves or anyone else. What this is going to do is make your child realize that they don't get what they want when they have a meltdown. In these cases, your child is still trying to communicate with you, but they are essentially speaking a different language. What you want to do is tell them that you want to help them, but you don't understand what they are telling you. Try going to a different part of the room and wait for them to tell you what they want. Sure, meltdowns are not going to be solved this way overnight, but this is only for the short term to actually reach your long-term goals. The key here is to be patient and diligent, and you will eventually reach your goal. Think of it this way. Your child wants something and has a meltdown. Your first response is to ignore the behavior and tell them that it isn't the right time. The meltdown continues, and you give the same response. And then the meltdown continues some more, and it goes on and on and on for what seems to be an eternity, and you finally give in. What did this teach the child? The individual learned to keep having a meltdown and eventually get what they want. Remember what we talked about, patience. This is a time you will have to have a ton of it. Don't give up. It's difficult and it takes time, but in the end, it will be worth it. Okay, let's move on to diet. And first off, we want to say that we are in no way doctors or nutritionists. We have, however, done a lot of research on this, and this is the conclusion that we have come up with. Before you go changing any diets, you need to consult a doctor. Remember, this is just information that we have done research on and are putting it out there for you. Now, Master Impressive and I have seen a lot of kids' lunches, and there's always been something of a pattern. We noticed that a lot of lunches are processed foods, sugary foods, and lots and lots of rice. We understand that parents work and that parents are doing their best to give their children the best and most enjoyable lunches possible. But if you think about it this way, you probably wouldn't feed them this. If we aren't going to eat it ourselves, then why do we give it to our children? So scientists have actually found a molecular connection between processed foods and autism. And here is a list of some of the foods that we think you should be avoiding. Dairy. Dairy contains a protein called casein. When it mixes with stomach acids, it creates something called exforin, which can cause bloating with some people um, and digestive problems. Think about you having bloating or digestive problems, and you're able to actually communicate this to someone. Now think about someone on the spectrum that has the same issues but can't communicate that they are in discomfort. Gluten. Try removing wheat, barley, rye, oats, and products made from these grains. Sugar. Like any human, sugar has an effect on our sugar levels. You get your ups and downs, highs and lows, which can create headaches and lethargy. Artificial ingredients. Artificial dyes are not only carcinogenic, they also cause hyperactivity. 
If you are going to make changes such as no chips or cookies, then you need to rid the house of all of that. You can't take it away and then be eating it yourself. I can tell you that after my kidney failure, I had to change my entire diet to low sodium, low potassium. And I can tell you that it makes a huge difference in your health. Once again, we are not doctors, but over the years, we have read multiple articles, listened to different professionals, and had personal experiences and diet changes. And this is the conclusion that we have come up with. You once again have to consult with your healthcare practitioner before changing anything. You're not going to change the entire diet at once. You will gradually do this over time. Once you change the diet, you need to stay all in on it. There can't be any sneaking snacks here and there. There are a lot of diets out there for children on the spectrum. So do your research and choose what's best for you. Remember, be patient. There's that word again. And do not get discouraged. Changes are not going to happen overnight. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels. Here we go now! Pop Jerky.